Before we get started today, we wanted to thank everyone who has supported the Competitive Mindset. As we continue to grow, we wanted to ask one favor. If you haven't yet rated or reviewed the podcast, please do so on your podcast platform and help us continue to grow the Competitive Mindset. Success isn't success unless you can share it with other people. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. The Greatest Games Podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of. Chris and Brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way. Catch The Greatest Games Podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Peter, welcome to The Competitive Mindset. Thank you. We finally made it happen. <laughs> we did. You, you had a child in between our scheduled times, but we got here and all is good. Always good, man, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we a child bringing a child into life. Let's start with your journey through life. Tell us a little bit about that and how it's led you to what you're doing now. Uh, I grew up. I still live, but I grew up in the Netherlands uh, in Schiedam. Pretty hard to pronounce, but it's a, a city right attached to Rotterdam. It's the second biggest city in uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, also, the largest harbor uh, city in Europe. Grew up in one of what was known as a more disadvantaged area. A lot of low-income families, a lot of social housing, but a uh, huge passion for basketball. Always loved basketball. When I was eight, my parents took me to the movies, watched Space Jam, and after that, I was hooked. I wanted to be like Mike, like many people. I wanted to play in a big stadium. People, you know, screaming my name. Play with the Looney Tunes. <laughs> but uh, that got me hooked. Played basketball with a lot of guys who were way more talented than me. Guys who had their roots in the Caribbean, you know, could very athletic boys, jump higher, taller, stronger. We also shared that same dream. We all, all of us wanted to play ball in the States at some point. And um, I was fortunate enough to uh, make the opportunity come true. Obviously, that's where we met at um, MATC, Madison College. Juco D3, but for me, it was like playing D1. The whole experience being in the States... You know, get to travel with guys, going to a tournament by plane to Arizona, you know, living together with those guys. It, it was just an amazing experience. And for me, it was really having that dream come true. I obviously didn't have the dream of playing in the NBA. I just wanted to be in the States and, and feel that sports experience. It's such Sports culture is such a huge thing in the States, way more than here. So that was awesome. Got my degree in entrepreneurship at Madison College. And that was the moment I realized, you know, at, 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 when you leave to the States to play ball, you, you want that adventure to end in, in playing a, a state championship final or a national championship final. Uh, and it did end in a stadium somewhere. I think it was from the university, but, um, but it was the graduation ceremony. And that was the point in my life I realized what sports has done for me. Uh, you know, the first 20 years, all you want to you think is that sports is going to make you a great athlete. But after that, I, uh, receiving my uh, diploma 
I realized what that sport actually made me the person that I am and, and realized my potential and gave me so much life skills and very thankful for that experience to coach V and all the guys, you, you know, everything that, that, that made that come true. Uh, and that was also the moment I realized that, you know, going abroad gave me so much more, more than actually following classes or going to school, but going abroad, um, you know, going to school in a different culture, living in a different culture, the international experience, taking yourself out of the comfort zone, learn new things, learn about the world that developed me so much as a human. And, uh, so as soon as I returned, uh, I wanted to go on a new adventure. I was hooked and go into adventures. Uh, but I realized that if I wanted to keep growing, I had to um, get myself in, in, in uh, another culture, way different from the U.S., maybe the opposite from the U.S. So I got the opportunity to go to Taiwan in Asia. Amazing experience. Also an amazing experience. I did my internship there to finish my bachelor degree. Got an opportunity to play a bit of ball for the university there, Mingchang University, for one year. And then when I came back home, actually, I came back home and changed man, you know, because when I left Holland, I think I was 19 or 20. And, you know, you, you still in that late puberty, uh, the way you look at life, pretty uh, thinking only about yourself, social status whatsoever. And after those three years, I came I came home and changed man, you know very confident i want to change the world reach my goals reach my dreams and then you come back home and you see the same guys hanging on the uh, corner of the streets the same guy hanging at the, the subway stations uh, the guys i used to play ball with none of them were playing ball anymore a lot of them made poor decisions fell out of school uh, one was in in prison you know so i started to wonder like how was it possible that me as the least talented guy the least talented player of all my friends was the one that made that dream come true. And those talented guys did not even not make that dream come true, but they also made pretty poor decisions for themselves. And that was the moment I realized that I've been really, really privileged to grow up in a warm household with two parents, you know, encouraging me to follow my dreams. They knew my talents were limited too, but they supported me uh, whatsoever. They supported me in school. They disciplined me. If I didn't go to school, my, my dad would kick my butt. But on the other end, if, you know, if I, I, I didn't feel comfortable, if I was worried about something, he was there to support me. Uh, same for my mom. And I think that foundation of love, encouragement, discipline, structure is so important for kids to reach their potential. So that was the point I, I said to myself, you know what, I realized my dreams. That was my dream. And now I want to give back to, uh, to others. And that's where uh, my uh, adventure as an entrepreneur started. All right, before we get into what you're doing now, let's rewind a little bit. Tell me about the first time you participated in a competition. That's after watching Space Jam. I signed up for the local club. Here in Holland, you don't play ball for schools, but we have clubs. Uh, so I, I, I played for the local basketball club. And uh, I really want to play ball. My mom called the club and they said, you know, they were full. All the teams are full. And I, I told my mom, keep calling them, keep calling them until they got a spot. So. Uh, I got invited to play for one of the teams. I think it was U10, U10 team. And, um, you know, I was pretty tall for my age back then. Uh, and I was so excited about, play, about playing ball. I, I used to play every day. So I got pretty good at, at for, for that level. So I got hooked to playing, especially when you're good in a competition. You know, you're the man, you get a lot of attention. Everybody wants to give you the ball. Then, yeah, you get kind of get excited too to stay in competition as, as much as you can. 
Well, it's interesting at age 10 that you had the persistence to bug your mom to stay up with calling to give you, get you that opportunity. See, she keeps reminding me about that because she said, if you didn't push me to pick up the phone and call that chairman of the club again, then, you know, your life would have been totally different than where you are right now. So I'm happy I did that. And I think, I think I've always been like that. Like if I wanted to achieve something, then, you know, keep pushing for it. Let's talk about when you traveled to the States to come to Madison College to play. Tell me about something that you perceived in your mind was going to happen or, or a situation that would occur or the culture when you got here that when you got here was not the case. Well, one thing that that really wasn't the case that I thought, you know, because basketball, the level of basketball is so high in the U.S. So my perception was that all basketball players, no matter what level of college, would take sports really, really serious. And then when I came to the States, I was kind of confused that, you know, some of the teammates partied a lot, went to bed late. And I was kind of confused. I was like, huh? You guys have so much opportunities. Look at these facilities. You know, we didn't even have... we Our clubs have to rent gyms from schools or for from the municipality. And you guys have a gym you can walk into at any time. We only had practice twice a week because renting those gyms is expensive. So three hours a week, that's when we practice. And if you're lucky and all the team invites you, so you got three times a week. In the States, you can walk into the gym whenever you want. There is a weight room you can get into whenever you want. You got a trainer that can look after you when you get injuries. You got coaches who are ready if you ask them to help you out, get more shots in. There was a swimming pool. And, and I was kind of confused, like, those guys didn't know how privileged they were with all the opportunities offered in, in school that I was kind of confused. Why are you not committed? And they always talked about how they want to go D1, D2, but I didn't, they didn't show their com, com, uh, how do you say the commitment for it. And I was confused because, you know, still at, at Madison College, I think we had so many talented guys, but they just don't reach the potential because uh, that college life kind of influenced them uh, in a bad way. Yeah, actions speak louder than words, and their words were unfortunately louder than their actions. And, you know, but obviously the, the other situation is true, too. We don't want to lose that where there were guys who who did work hard and, and were able to, you know, accomplish things, and you're definitely one of them. And I want to talk about that next step now. Why Taiwan? I wanted to go to a culture that was totally different from the States. That would have been comfortable, but I realized the more I get out of my comfort zone, the more I'm growing. So even in the States, I tried to do new things, you know, meet new people, go new places because I felt like I'm, I was growing more as a person. So uh, when I came back, one of my friends from from uh, university before I left to the States, because I was in university already, but I put that study on hold to go to the States. He started this uh, startup that wanted to link universities abroad to Dutch students to help them. Uh, find internships or study abroad for half a year or one year. Uh, and he had a relationship with a friend from Taiwan that lived there uh, and they wanted to connect the university in Taiwan to Dutch students to have, get them over there and study there. So um, for my for my own internship, I went there to see what that university had to offer for students and how we could market, how we could brand that university for Dutch students to go over there and get that international experience. So that's what got me there, and uh, I also fell in love with the Asian culture. Yeah. 
All right. So let's talk about when you came back now and the foundation you started and the work that you're doing. Can can you tell me about how that whole process began and the work that kind of went into beginning um, your foundation? Yeah. At first, uh, like I said, I, I, I studied entrepreneurship at Madison College. So as soon as my international adventures were over, I started my own business uh, called Iron Team and what we did I wanted to inspire kids through basketball workshops team building slash basketball workshops but not to stimulate them to get into basketball but actually inspire them to get the most out of themselves and um, I think because of my affiliation with the street culture uh, we, we, uh, we we got a lot of work in youth detention centers youth care special education which was really cool actually and at some point that went really well and we got opportunities to provide workshops in, in different countries, especially in Africa, in Uganda, Ghana, South Africa, but also in Belize, Mexico, uh, Azerbaijan. It was a really, really amazing time. I think we did that for a couple of years, providing those workshops, traveling, you know, still doing something with basketball. But at some point I realized I wasn't achieving the change that I wanted to achieve. And, and you know, for example, I was in South Africa in a youth prison telling these guys when you get out of prison, finish your school, follow your dreams. And after that, I would go back to my hotel where it's safe and warm. And those guys were not interested in my blah, blah stories. They only have one thing on my on their mind that is surviving, you know, making it through the next day. And at that point, I realized that, you know, I'm not making a sustainable change. These guys don't need inspiration. They actually just need adults who are there for them. And accept them unconditionally and not uh, you know let them fall whenever they make a poor decision but are there and, and and adults who are not there when it fits the schedule of the adult but who are there when the child actually needs them and I, I saw similarities between the kids I grew up in in my community and the kids in those youth prisons in South Africa and that is they didn't have positive role models around them to help them make the right decisions and teach them the right morals and values and that's, that's when I realized, you know, I got to do something else. Um, and that's when I came up with the idea from the foundation because I started thinking, like, how can we actually change, empower kids for the long term, you know, sustainable change in their behavior. And when I, when I thought back about my community back then, the one thing I saw that was lacking is positive role models. Like 90% of the kids, of my friends, the kids I grew up with had no father figure in the house. So as soon as you hit that age of 12 to 13 and you start to look for your own identity and you go outside in a neighborhood where there's a lot of negative influences, you have no context from home, context with positive values that you compare to what you're seeing outside on the street. So you don't really know what's bad and good. Then you're almost doomed. You're almost destined to make poor decisions. So that's when I realized, okay, I cannot bring fathers to my community, but I can bring basketball coaches because... The way I saw it, uh, especially at Madison College, Coach Fee, the coach was like a real role model to me, but also kind of a father figure to a lot of the guys. Like he was really strict, demanded discipline. But on the other hand, he was always there for you. If you have troubles, whatever time it was, you could call him. And he was there, that support, uh, that love on one hand, the caring, but also the daring to develop yourself, get better. That's something I believed, you know, that's what we need in the community. And then on the other hand, the, the brotherhood in the basketball team, I was... I felt that family feeling with my teammates. We lived together in the apartment. We did everything together, eat together, have fun together. I felt like, you know, that's what these guys miss too. Obviously, they have friends here, but you need friends who keep you on the right path. 
And in a basketball team, um, you know, you need each other. You need each other to perform. You know, you cannot do it by yourself. So you, it, it's easier to, to, to keep each other on, on track. So I believe, you know, bringing that family experience in a basketball team and that father figure role in a basketball coach to my community could bring great changes. And that's actually how we started YETS Foundation. And YETS stands for Youth Empowerment Through Sports. And pretty much what we do, we developed a two-year program, Intervention, uh, which is, is, is based on my experience at, at a junior college. But the only difference is we start these programs at the lower education high schools in the more disadvantaged communities. And kids can sign up for it who may have never touched a basketball before. Um, but they, they sign up for free. And together with the school, we look at kids at their home situation, behavioral problems, school performance. Uh, and kids who will benefit the most from our programs have the biggest chance to participate. And then for, for two years straight, we basketball twice a week in the school. We eat together. We do homework together. Uh, we do what we call social integration. So um, uh, workshops on coping with money, job training, debating on actual topics in the news, like what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now doing volunteering work in the communities. So, so, um, so much alike from what we did in the States, but um, the only difference is these kids don't need a talent for basketball. You know, that's the only difference to sign up. They actually need to have some problems in life and we're going to help them to deal with it. Wow. I, I, I love how that all evolved for you. And thank you for sharing that information. Now, I want to talk a, a little bit more about you. And can you tell me how competitiveness to succeed has assisted you, you know, in your career through everything that you just listed for us? Definitely, especially as a basketball player. Like I said, I think I still believe my talents are limited, but I'm very proud of how hard I had to work. I always had to work a little bit harder. Uh, you know, I was one of the best players, I think, on my team back then uh, in Holland. But as soon as I, I went to the stage, you know, I was at the bottom of the list, at the, at the end of the bench. <laughs> And, and, you know, I just had to work my butt off to get there. And um, it was a very variable experience because I learned that the harder I worked, the, the bigger my opportunities got. And even though in the second season I got the opportunity to start, I remember in Arizona, and then I got an opportunity to get in, play an amazing game, was an amazing experience. Uh, and after that, I got some chances to start. And I learned that, you know, it, you don't have to be really talented to, 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 to get what you want. If you just work your butt off, work harder than other people, you can achieve so much. And um, I think that experience as an athlete helped me so much in my entrepreneurial life because I just learned if you don't give up and work hard, man, you can achieve so much. And especially in, in the field I work in, the nonprofit sector, um, people are not, you know, entrepreneurship doesn't play a big part, at, at least here in the nonprofit sector. It's, it's more like, you know, holding your hand up for donations while well, um, we are trying to do it more with an entrepreneurial approach. Don't hold our hand up, but just work hard. And then we're going to be seen and people will be willing to support us. So yeah, competitiveness, trying to be the best with whatever I do is really helping me out in, in all assets of life. So how has that element of competitiveness maybe been a negative for you in your life? It's definitely been negative at some point, especially in my private life. Uh, we discussed a little bit before we started. I uh, got a daughter now, you know, but also in my relationship with my wife, like I'm very committed and dedicated to my goals. So um, 
I spend a lot of time working. So sometimes I lose balance between work and my private life, especially because it doesn't feel like work to me. It's my passion, it's my hobby. So it feels like I'm always free, but that can be dangerous as well. Um, and because I always want to get better at I'm always here in my head. So sometimes I can be physically present in a room, but mentally or emotionally, I'm not there. So people kind of, you know, feel like I'm, I'm a little fake or a little off because I'm always thinking, always thinking in new opportunities. Um, also in business, it doesn't really help me because sometimes I go quicker than my organization. We have about 18 people employed. And for me, as soon as I developed a project, I don't spend a lot enough time in actually making it stay there. I'm already moving to the next step. So sometimes I go on a little too quick for the world around me. You're a very good innovator. You you like to come up with ideas and I think you're working on integrating those ideas a little bit more, but also you surround yeah, yourself with good people, right? And they can help you with that. Most deaf. That is the, the step I got to take right now. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about success. Can you tell me a little bit about how your mindset in regards to success has changed over the course of your life to where it is now and what it means to you? For sure. Um, success at first for me was all about your, yourself, about yourself as an individual, reaching your goals and dreams. Um, that's what I try to do as an athlete and what worked out for me. I think I got the most out of myself, which I'm really proud of. Uh, but like I said before, when I got back home, um, I realized how privileged I've been. And then I realized, yeah, how how successful are you if you realize your goals, but at the end of the day, you didn't help other people out. Um, so success kind of changed over the course that I really believe in that success isn't success unless you can share it with other people. Um, and over time and still um, I'm starting to be more and more thankful of just where I grew up, you know, like growing up in, in the country as the Netherlands, I think also in the U S it's one of the most richest countries in the world. You know, everything is here. Healthcare. We, we got a, a roof over our heads. There's food, unlimited food pretty much when you go to the supermarket, there's jobs, there's safety, there's no war. There's no, not a lot of poverty. And especially after playing basketball, traveling to Africa, to all these other countries, I'm starting to realize them. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You're just very, very lucky. It's like winning a lottery ticket. You're just born in such a safe place, you know, and that's almost making me feel obligated to give back, especially after uh, being able to make my own dreams come true at such a young age. Uh, and, and, and what I've learned now that I feel so much more successful from giving than taking. Uh, and what I've learned as well is the more you give, the more you take. So it's like a, a, a snowball effect, you know. So for me, success is about sharing, sharing success with others and how much it gives you back. Okay, you just mentioned the word luck and being lucky with the situation that you're in. Can you tell me a little bit about your belief of the word luck and how it has played a role or not played a role in the success in, in your life and with your foundation? Yeah. Um, until not too long ago, I felt that uh, um, if people called me lucky, I saw it as a compliment because uh, especially um, when I left to the States, a lot of young guys who had maybe been 
more talented than me that, you know, a lot of the basketball players here want to end up in the U.S. Um, and a lot of call me lucky because I'm not the tallest guy. I wasn't the talent. Oh, you were so lucky. You got, you know, you accomplished it. And I took it as a compliment because all those guys that called me lucky didn't know how hard I worked for it. You know, every time those guys would go to a club, I would, I would go to bed and every time they would walk back home at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. whatsoever, I would wake up really early uh, to get some shots in at the park. And when those guys would wake up and, and play PlayStation with each other, I would watch game tape from Michael Jordan or Rick Smith from the Indiana Pacers. You know, he's a Dutch legend. The Flying Dutchman. <laughs> the Flying Dutchman. And, and we watch him play and study, study basketball and, 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 and you know, eat healthy. Um, so they didn't know how much hard work I put in. So at first I thought that you have to create your own luck. And I still believe at it in some way. But like I said, now I've also learned that um, the the position you are in, the position I'm in is, is, is you know, it's already very privileged. So you, you, you can be lucky in some way, but obviously I've learned through the course that um, you can create your own luck to a certain degree. Yeah, the moniker that I like to use is make your own luck, right? Put in the work and then, as you mentioned, that snowball effect will start to take place for you. Definitely. Sure. So if you're playing pickup, like a few years ago, you were back to the college and you're playing pickup with Sam and G, or yeah. if you're, you know, you're playing horse with kids at your foundation, right. when it comes to competing, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? Uh, the joy of winning, the joy of winning, for sure. I'm not, I don't have a fear for losing. I lost a lot in my life. Uh, and then only got better at it. You know, losing makes you uncomfortable. It motivates me to find a different way to get it done. So I'm definitely scared of losing. Uh, losing always also teaches me that, it's, you know, you got the most out of it. Because as long as you're winning, you you are. I'm not sure. As long as I'm winning, I'm not sure if I'm I'm getting the most out of myself. But when I lose to some, but if I worked hard for it, then I know you know I got the best out of it. Like I said, like I wasn't good enough to make it uh, to a four-year school but I was okay with it because I knew I did everything I could I did everything in my potential I worked my butt off after Taiwan I didn't mention it but I, I got a scholarship an athletic scholarship to get do my master's degree and keep playing for the team uh, at Ming Chan University uh, and I got, I got right after that I got food poisoning so I didn't play with the team uh, in the middle of negotiations about when I come back, where would I stay exactly? So they took that as an offense. They thought I was, I was, you know, didn't want to play until we figured it out. So they withdraw my scholarship. So that also was a huge, it felt like a huge failure, but because of that, I started my own business and that's why I'm here. So I think everything happens for a reason. So I'm definitely um, sometimes too much addicted to winning. Like, for example, with, with, with my foundation, with our foundation, we won a couple of awards and that kind of got me addicted to get more spotlight, you know, and do more. So definitely diff driven by the joy of winning. Okay, you may have just mentioned this, um, but you can elaborate yeah. on it or we can move on. What's your yeah. favorite failure? Definitely the Taiwan story because I don't see a lot of things as failure because, like I said, if you if you work hard for it, it doesn't feel like failure. It sucks sometimes, but it isn't failure to me. But Taiwan was kind of like a failure because I really wanted that scholarship because I didn't have it in the States. I really want, I would be very proud. I wanted to do my master's. I wanted to stay in Taiwan, extend my international time, 
you know, of studying abroad, living abroad. But the negotiations went very bad. I didn't learn that much about culture. They invited me for dinner. Um, and I had a couple of weeks left until I would go back home. So I wanted to finish those negotiations about my scholarship with an athletic director. Uh, so at dinner, I still remember in that restaurant, I started to get to business, you know, like talk about where would I stay, et cetera. But the Asian culture wants you to talk about family, you know, talk about anything. And then maybe the third dinner you, you get into into business. So as I, I, I went back home. And after two weeks, I got an email that they would draw my scholarship while I was preparing to go back. I was only going to stay home for summer. So that was a huge dis disappointment. It felt like failure because I didn't invest enough time in understanding how culture worked. Uh, but like I said, I believe everything happens for a reason. If if, if I would have gone back to Taiwan, I would have got my master's degree, but I definitely wouldn't be running the foundation as it is right now. So I'm okay with it. Beautiful. Thanks for elaborating on that. Yep. So can you tell me about a mentor that you have and a lesson that you have used from them or you use from them on a regular basis? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I, had, I had a lot of mentors around me. Uh, I think a huge one for me was was Coach Fessadal. I think he might be the biggest mentor I ever had. Even though he's been a basketball coach of, of, of D3 Juco, like it doesn't maybe you know have a big name or whatsoever but the way he did it he was so committed uh very charismatic um but he he is the biggest inspiration for the way we our coaches coach now in our foundation and it's it's close to a, a leadership model called secure based leadership it's, it's it's a leadership model we implement in the way we run our business but also the way we coach our kids which says uh leadership is about caring and daring you know you have to dare and push people to, to get them to the best, uh, make them the best out of themselves, but also care for people, you know, show your interest in them, take time to uh, not just look at the person you, you see, like don't judge a book by its cover, but really show interest to see what's behind the mask, what is the reason for someone's behavior. And uh, the way Coach Fee pushed us, but on the other hand, really, um, you know, gave a lot of love back, you know, that, that was a huge inspiration for me. Beautiful. So let's talk about the future now. What's a project that you have coming up and what's your motivations with that upcoming project? Um, I have two huge projects I'm working on, which I'm really proud of, but are also very challenging. Uh, one of them is that we are changing the business to a more of a franchise model, which is really cool. But um, we had we had some success with the organization over the last couple of years. Our queen came to visit us which gave a, a lot of publicity to the organization. So we had, a, um, you know, and she asked us, why don't you uh, enroll this uh, project all over the country? Um, Did she open the checkbook too for you right away? Unfortunately not. <laughs> she didn't. But she kind of opened a lot of doors because, you know, we made it to the national news. So a lot of big cities called us like, hey, we want to have a YETS project. And at that point, we, we turned... Uh, those offers off because I don't have a growth ambition, but I have a quality ambition. I want to show that nonprofits can be run in a different way and inspire other NGOs to, you know, do it a little more as we do it. Uh, but then after two years, um, one of my colleagues right now, he, he's from a city way up north, it's like two and a half hours away from where we are. 
um, that's the farthest you can go with small countries. So if you drive three hours, you're already in Germany or Belgium. <laughs> so that's far away from for us, right? That was also a different experience in the States. We would go on a bus trip for like six hours and we would still be in Wisconsin. <laughs> for if, we, if I drive six hours, I'm past Paris. I'm, I'm deep into France, you know? So that, that was funny. You know, he, he worked for us for three years, but his girlfriend didn't want to move down here so he's moving back so we said you know what you got all this experience passion he didn't want to work anything anywhere else so we are starting uh he's opening the first yet's franchise in his city in september and after that we are looking into opening three more franchises over the coming two years so one franchise at a, a year which is really exciting uh a huge adventure but really proud of getting that done because i believe that um these kind of projects, basketball programs for the communities can only succeed when run by local heroes, you know. I don't believe that me from Rotterdam should expand my uh, organization and have projects run in communities with guys who are not even from that community because I'm passionate for my city, but not about that city. The culture still, even though the cities are closed, it's a different culture, different mindset. Um, so I believe that those local heroes really know the the social context of the local culture. So that's something I'm really proud of. Another thing is I started a different another business called Yet's Move. Uh, and and real real short because I always talk too much, but real short, it's a it's a social entrepreneurship. And what we do is we translate all the experience and inspiration from the foundation in leadership and behavioral change. We translate it to lessons for commercial companies. So you know help them out we are actually publishing a book next week which is going to be really really cool and we, we studied with a lot of kids who've been to our program and uh interviewed them together with uh, uh another consultancy company helped us with this book but well, we interviewed them to see what are the successful elements of yet that helped you to actually change and empower yourself uh, and we translated those uh, conclusions of that uh, research to lessons for those companies and uh, through leadership programs, team development programs, we help those companies uh, and the profit we make goes right into the foundation. So one of my big dreams is that a big part of the budget of the foundation is funded by ourselves. So we don't have to depend on subsidies or donations. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. All right. I'm going to get you out of here on a fun question. I'm going to make you think a little bit. So, so, so use your imagination because I know you have a good one and you have a good sense <laughs> of humor. Okay. So if you were to go look in a refrigerator and one item in that refrigerator that you could pick out that best identifies with who you are as a person. That's an awesome question. I would have to say peanut butter. For sure. <laughs> I, even in college, everybody called me butters um, because I always, I was always eating peanut butter sandwiches. Like, even there, you know, I was really trying to save up money for my next adventure. So I kept it cheap. I bought, I always walked to Walmart. Uh, maybe sometimes I drove with some of the guys, didn't have a car. And I made sure I bought uh, sandwiches and peanut butter. And why I love peanut butter so much, it tastes good, but it's high on protein. You know, it's healthy, but it, it, it tastes good. And, and that's what I try to be, you know, I try to not not push it too much into uh, my career, but but I, I try to stay healthy, but also the protein is really powerful. So, I, I, you know, they call me butters, 
but I can see myself as a as a peanut butter jar. <laughs> Beautiful. I wasn't gonna bring up the butter's nickname, but you rolled it in for me. No man, I love that name. I was actually looking into, uh, but but I'm getting off topic. But making peanut butter myself, we have a project in Ghana. I won't talk about it too much, but we have a big piece of farming land. So I was looking into uh, farming peanuts there, get them over here and making peanut butter. And then in Ghana, when I go to Africa, they call me Pita. They say they pronounce my name as Pita. So I wanted to call it Pita Bata. But uh, <laughs> uh, I have to keep that, uh, you know, park, park this idea somewhere, maybe in five years. From now. That idea is still <laughs> in the innovation stage, working on the integrating stage, right? <laughs> Yeah, Beautiful. Well, Peter, thank you for coming on the Competitive Mindset. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Next time on Competitive Mindset. You might miss some good gems. You might miss some, some learning lessons in there. Competitive Mindset music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.